Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Tony. We are still very much knee-deep in tech, and this is episode 104, recorded on the 28th of January 2020. We have lost Simon. Damn it, Simon. Damn it, Simon. He's missing in Milan. He is missing in Milan. And that's a great um, episode uh, name, by the way, Missing in Milan. (laughs) Okay, so we got that nailed down right away. That, that, that was easy. Sure. So do you know what happened 34 years ago on this day? 34 years ago? No. In 1986, on the 28th of January, uh, the Special Challenger broke up 73 seconds after takeoff, killing all aboard. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. You're the space guy. I am the space guy and 34 years. Uh, it's they, they are gone, but never forgotten. Yeah, well, I was six years old by then, so I don't kind of remember that kind of stuff. But yeah, I can appreciate that. I wasn't very old either. I mean, a lot of things happened in 1986. For instance, Chernobyl. Oh yeah, well, that I actually kind of sort of remember. Yeah, I I vividly remember walking down the stairs in my uh, parents' house and listening to the radio and someone said, meltdown, nuclear. And I didn't know quite what that meant, but... Judging by the faces of my parents, it cannot have been a good thing. Oh, yeah. Well, it was pretty much the same thing for me as well. I didn't, as a six-year-old, who knows what nuclear is at all. Uh, so, but I did actually sort of, again, sort of kind of remember that there was like panic in the streets and stuff and everyone was glued to their TVs trying to get information about what actually happened and um, how this will affect all the people in Sweden, pretty much. Pretty much. And here we are... 34 years later, and we're not quite there yet, but the um, the virus outbreak in China is definitely having some people riled up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's been huge in the news pretty much globally, I, I expect. Yeah. So it's not, not only here. I'm expecting that to be a global news everywhere. Global news everywhere. That's That's very clever, Tony. Very clever. Yeah. Well, just, you know, iron it out. I had this interesting conversation and, um, well, I'll I'll just jump right into it. So a colleague pinged me a couple of days ago and said, hi, I have a database that does not seem to be entirely healthy. Could you perhaps take a look? And I said, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll take a look when I have the time. And today was the time. And upon logging into the server, I was greeted with a ton of corruption errors in uh, the database log. And that is never a good sign. I can tell you that much. So I um, took a look and after roughly 25 to 30 minutes, having done some preliminary checks, I concluded that, yep, this database is toast. As in completely, it's dead, Jim. And uh, most of the tables were fine, but a lot of the tables were not, and especially parts of the system tables were corrupted. Oh. Now, even I know that's a bad thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was just the beginning. Because when I started to look around for the reason for this, I found that the database was the version that is released to manufacturing. So it had never been patched. It was a SQL Server 2016, and 2016 has some nasty corruption-inducing bugs that you might inadvertently trigger. But it gets worse. 
they had every day a job that did DBCC check DB, that is, um, check for, for corruption, right? Unfortunately, nobody had set up any uh, alerts or oh. any any anything from this job. So it was happily chugging along and uh, kind of saying, yeah, I found corruption and nobody cared. Oh. It gets worse. Oh, does it? Now what now I'm intrigued. Now I'm actually intrigued. And um how long do you think this has been going on for? So the sequel version was 2016, so let me guess at least 3 years. Not not quite as bad. It Ooh. has been going on for 6 months. So every day for 6 months it has been screaming its head off in silence and just pointing out that uh uh, uh broken Hello, can anyone hear so, me? So what do, what do you do? Well, in this case, it might be possible, keyword being might, to go in and do some surgery. You, you're going to have to set up a whole new environment for, for this database. And then maybe you can do some surgical um, moving of data between this database or the wreck of this database into a new, new database. But it comes down to that you need to know in detail the schema and the design of that database, right? Of course. So the best way would simply just to blow it away and re redo a, a backup. Unfortunately, there are no backups. There's oh, <laughs> that's the final blow, right? And and here's here's the kicker: the the database in in question is backed up or was backed up by Veeam, and Veeam is based on snapshots, right? Which, which oh, yep. I mean, Veeam is a great product as long as you configure it correctly. So it has a snapshot built on a moving 12-day window in this case, meaning that you can restore to any point in time within 12 days. Okay. Now, I would argue that is not the definition of a backup. That is the definition of a, a um, disaster recovery thingy, but definitely not a long-term backup. So... Yeah, too long didn't read, the database is toast, and there is no backup. Ah, oh, damn. This is pretty much like, I suppose, the description of my absolute worst nightmare when it comes to Active Directory. Because, you know, Active Directory is still pretty much a database in the background. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it is extremely resilient. There's, I have pretty much never seen a corrupt AD. But I have seen broken ADs, many, many, many of them throughout the years. How would you define a broken AD? What, it, what does it look like? Well, a broken AD would be like if you say that you have 10 domain controllers, right? Mm -hmm. So, and only the one that has the, for example, PDC role, the FISMA role of PDC. That is the only one keeping a current record of your group policies. And all the other little domain controllers uh, have sometimes experienced some sort of a power outage or whatever. So now they refuse to replicate this information. So they have their own sets of group policies, for example. So the PDC one is the only one where you make changes, you modify your settings, you add new group policies, but they never actually get replicated because all the other little domain controllers in your environment are just refusing to replicate this information, being sysvol. So that is what I would call a broken AD. 
That absolutely requires a non-authoritative restore of everything, all the other little domain controllers, to make sure that someone is the authoritative one, and then re-enable replication across your forest. So I've seen plenty of those, those are terrible. But still, in, even in those cases, the actual Active Directory database is still working. So you can authenticate your users, it is not corrupted in a, at least a bad way, there might be some user, user information missing, there might be some group information missing, just because the replication topology hasn't been held up, checked on, or verified in years, in some cases even. So everyone is just thinking, well, AD works, you know, I can log in, everything's fine. So that is a major reason for even directory administrators to actually check your environments. Please, people, make a routine of this. You need to have routines around this. You can't just install it once and leave it forever. Things will happen. That, that's that's a good point. And I mean, one of the reasons, or I would say the main reason that we found ourselves in this situation is the fact that the server was not configured according to best practices. Had it been so, it would have been patched and hopefully the uh, the um, the issues with corruption might not have triggered. But if they had, we would also have had alerts for all the types of errors in the log and failure emails on the CheckDB job. So it would have been caught the same night as the corruption would have happened. And thus they could have done a restore with Veeam in literally minutes and everybody would have been happy. Yeah, so email or SMS notification or whatever, some, some sort of notification that is absolutely crucial when configuring, monitoring and alarming. Why, why, why do I even have to say that? That sounds absurd. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's also a good point. I mean, it is 2020 and people are still making the same mistakes that we did 25, 30 years ago. And what's even worse is I think that we're going to be seeing the same kind of issues 10 years from now. Really? Yeah. Because uh, when it comes to configuration, when it comes to uh, proactivity, there has been very few real uh, leapfrogs, new updates coming out. So it, it's still at the end of the day, it's up to you as an administrator to set this up or not. Okay, so you think that people are so naive, actually, or administrators in this case, that as long as they see the word monitoring, they will expect it to just figure it out themselves. So going to SMS or mail or whatever. So no configuration needed. Oh, it says monitoring. I just checked that box and everything is fine. Well, in this case, one of the main issues with, with SQL Server is that you're going to find SQL Server in almost any any software because you need to store data anywhere, right? And in this case, the guy managing the database was not a database administrator. He was a system center specialist. And he knows system center in and out, but he had no idea what the database looked like and what the database required. And the instructions from Microsoft when it comes to how to set up an NSCCM database says absolutely squat about these basic things, because that's up to a DBA to do. That's one of the main issues that I see with databases. If you have a competent database administrator, you almost never have these kind of issues. You're going to have other issues, but not these kinds of issues. 
And I would assume that this is the case in other uh, types of software as well. I mean, if I was to set up an SCCM database, well, the database would be awesome, but the SCCM would be crap. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, I, I can see where we're going with that, and I, I would agree. I, I'm by no means a database expert, but still I need to, you know, set up a plentiful of SQL Server Express installations, for example, for all my kind of tools, you know, binary tree, ADMT, <laughs> bad example, but yeah, still relevant. Uh, AD Sync. I mean, Azure Azure Active Directory Connect still needs a database, and in those cases, I have set it up. It's usually SQL Express, and I don't do anything with that. The binary tree one, I actually was a little bit more careful with, so that I actually set up for backup as well. Ah, yeah, because that's one of the most dangerous things that I know with SQL Server Express. People don't think that they need to do anything with it, and it definitely needs a backup. And you don't have an agent, so you don't have anything built in to do the backups for you. You need to do them manually. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly what I did in that case. So for every uh, that I did determined was a you know important milestone. Okay, now we have migrated all the client computers. Okay, now I will actually do a manual backup dump of the whole DB just in case if everything happens from this point forward, we don't need to actually redo the client migrations. Which there you go. Usually are not possible even. So yeah. So in in, in that very case, I was extremely uh, let's say careful. True, and I have it on good authority that you've done some AD migration stuff, and everything went perfectly. Right. Yeah, that was the initial thought. Uh, I mean, oh. we had the cut over during the weekend last weekend, actually. So everything seemed just fine. I mean, we got high praise from users around the globe. Uh, everything just worked. No no issues, no re-authentications, no prompts, no nothing. Just Everything just worked and all the mailboxes were looking fine. Okay, come Monday, I actually travel up to Stockholm just to, you know, dare to show my face there in case something had gone wrong. I felt that I need to be there and be responsible. Uh, and during the late afternoon, people were beginning to call into service desk saying that they can see multiple distribution groups in their Outlook, for example. So, okay, that's the first, I suppose you could call it a major issue. So we log on into everything, we check things around, and we notice that, okay, pretty much all the distribution groups and security mail-enabled groups are now duplicates and people don't know which one to choose. Luckily, most of the users have all of this information cached, so we don't have to care about them. It just works because they're still using the old one, so to speak. But still, there are duplicates, and the new one doesn't actually work. So this became a high-priority case very fast. (laughs) Really? Oh, yeah. So uh, I removed all the newly added groups to the sync, of course, uh, to make sure that everything uh, the users could see was actually the old stuff that actually works. That was the main priority straight away. That was done in like minutes. So no no issues there, no issues reported on missing emails or anything like that. But now we still have the case of the duplicate boxes and all of that jazz which needs to be taken care of before we can actually decommission the old domain because they are synced to the old domain. 
all the users got synced very nicely with the consistency GUID, which means a hard match in this case. Talking pretty much AD Connect lingo here, but those who are into that know what I, what I mean. So the user cases went all just fine, no issues, shared mailboxes, all that jazz worked just fine. But distribution groups and mail-enabled security groups, no bueno. And that was pretty much because, and this I found out just this week, which I didn't know prior to this, was that groups don't have the consistency GUID attribute. That does not get generated for groups. Hence for no hard match. Okay, so what does it match to? Well, proxy address, primary. Or if you don't have a proxy address, it will try to match with email. That's it. And because those attributes are still synced from the old domain, no bueno again. So then, therefore, you get duplicates. So now, after, what is it now, Tuesday? So two days of hard work trying to figure this out, or pretty much one day, because it was actually Monday afternoon that we found this out. So now I have a new plan, how to make this all work, and that pretty much equals to disable all syncing of all objects in the whole tenant for around 72 hours, making everything cloud-only, which should not affect any, let's say, users or groups at all. Everything will be converted to cloud-only, and then you can re-enable the sync from the new AD, which will again do hard matching and soft matching to every object in Azure AD. So that is the plan going forward, and I will most probably be reporting back on this issue <laughs> next week. But the funny thing that I actually like to add here is that I got feedback and different ideas and responses way, way faster on Twitter through MVPs, through friends, to social media than I did from Azure support. So Azure's report on Twitter were, were very fast on reporting back, but since I had already created a ticket, they just said, ah, use that ticket, everything will be fine. That ticket got very slow response, which is unusual, actually. Uh, but then again, all the MVPs, all the social media guys, they reported back very fast, and now I have even confirmed my own theory with an MVP, uh, you know, it's our actual friend who's been on the channel a few times, the Mr. Dalle, who has done this uh, before many times and said he had seen no issues with the plan I have going forward. So that's just great. You know, again, community. Always community. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. curious, though, what kind of service level or support level do you have uh, on your AD? Do you just have the free or do you, have, do you actually pay for, for uh, any higher levels? Oh, yeah. Uh, the company is paying for much higher levels in formal licenses. For 365, we have E3 for pretty much everything. Uh -huh. And we also have the Microsoft 365, uh, Exchange P1s. I don't know if they cost anything. I'm, I'm not good at licensing, but I know that they have closer to a thousand licenses that actually cost a lot. But do, do you have Active Directory P1 as well? or yeah, uh, I think it's, it might be even P2. Oh, and still they were not as fast. Interesting. Oh, no. The, the, I think I created the ticket around like 4 o'clock or something like that, maybe even earlier. First response was like 6, 
And huh. then I think they stopped responding at around 8 o'clock Central European time. The next reply was today at, was it 2 o'clock or something? Afternoon? So, no, unusually slow. Usually they are very much faster. And then also <laughs> the last ticket was a response. Can you send me all the group names? No, that's like a 1500. So no, I can't send the group names. Why would you need those? For testing in his own lab. So no, I can give you two names for the two different kinds that get duplicated. That's it. An anomaly I was not used to. No, but as you say, community is is the key. And just having access to all these amazing people on Twitter is priceless. Oh, yeah. Because I wasn't asking them for, you know, tell me exactly what I needed to do. I was just asking them for the concept, you know. This is how I thought of the problem. How would you have thought of the problem? Okay, I have a new idea. Would you do this or nay? Might it be a bad idea? So just, you know, conceptually, I'm not asking for the exact solution. I'm not asking for free support, right? No, you're just asking for a rubber duck. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's how we roll. So switching gears uh, a bit, we, um, we got a pretty much a, a, an amazing preview a while back, uh, that I was under NDA and could not share, but on the 27th, that would be yesterday, the, um, Power Platform release plan for 2020 Wave 1 was announced, and that is going to September 2020. And these, these to, to be very, very clear, these are not guaranteed to happen in this time frame. This, this is the plan from Microsoft going forward. And these, these are not all the stuff they are planning on, but these are the big things. And holy cow, there are some amazing things coming out. Already? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, in, in um, there's is going to be in August 2020, a public preview of what is known as composite models over Power BI and Azure Analysis Services. In, in plain English, this means that I can actually use a, a connection to an Azure Analysis Services um, data set, and I can use a data set inside of Power BI and use them at the same time. That's what a composite model is. That has not been possible earlier, and this is going to open up a lot of, of interesting scenarios. We are also going to see stuff like incremental refresh going into general availability in May, and this is the way to handle large data sets and, and large data set changes. We are going to see conditional formatting for totals and subtotals. It doesn't sound like much, but suddenly you can do uh, change uh, um, number uh, numbers, change uh, colors, and change um, all kinds of properties of just the totals and subtotals in a matrix or in a table. And of course, something that we've been asking for since forever is the automatic page refresh, which is going to come out in September. And th these are just the Power BI desktop stuff. In Power BI Embedded, we're going to look at scale out with Azure Capacity Resources. And that means that as it stands today, if I spin up an A SKU, Power BI A SKU, it is going to be 
and a one, two, three, four, five, or six, depending on what I set it to. But what happens if I need more power? Well, it sucks to be me because I need to go in and crank it up if I need more power. And it's going to be a while before it is bigger. Not so from April. That means that we're going to have automatic scaling with the A SKUs between A1 and A6, depending on my settings. That is going to be awesome. When it comes to the service, data flows is going to support direct queries. So I no longer need to have my data cached. I'm not a huge fan of direct query, but for some specific scenarios, it is a game changer. So again, I suppose you're talking about licensing things when you take A1 to A7 and you're talking about automatic scaling. So is is there a way like to limit those? Because as soon as someone tells me that it's automatic scaling, I'm thinking about, you know, costs can skyrocket if someone makes a mistake. So is there a possibility to like limit cost with the scaling option as well? Oh, absolutely. So what happens is you set a minimum and a maximum. And then it is allowed to move between those. And of course you need to have, I think we talked about this, this episode already, we need to have proper monitoring in place to make sure that, as you say, someone does not screw the pooch and suddenly you're paying for a lot more than you need to. So that's, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the option of having automatic scaling, absolutely. But there has to be some sort of, you know, link to maximum cost or something. So someone doesn't, you know, make a bad mistake and just the cost skyrocket immediately. Oh, yeah, I agree. Definitely. We are also going to look or, or we're going to see Synapse integration. And Power BI is a huge part of the Synapse um, analytics suite. We don't know very much about this yet as the whole Synapse stuff is still being actively built. But according to the uh, the release wave in July, we're going to see a public preview of the integration with Synapse. And that, that's going to be also huge. We're going to see, and this is one of my favorites, XMLA read-write endpoints in September. What the heck is an XMLA endpoint? Well, the funny thing with XMLA endpoints is that it is a standard for accessing a data set. So if you have a SQL Server analysis services data set, anything that can talk XMLA can access this data set, right? And we've had XMLA read endpoints for quite some time in premium. So this means that I can, if I have my report in premium, I can use, for instance, Tableau or ClickView or any other third party that speaks XMLA to access my data in my data set. That's kind of cool. Oh, absolutely. Because one of the products that you actually mentioned is a product I, I have heard of in my new company where I work, being Tableau. There you go. So I have no idea what it is, what it does, but I recognize the name and that makes me already a little bit happier because you're talking about Power BI and you know Azure AD and all that stuff. So that oh, yeah. means that there is integrations for that as well. That makes me kind of happy. If your report is in a premium workspace, which is not a very cheap workspace, but yes, you can access your data using XMLA. And from September, you're going to be able to write to your data set via XMLA. That opens up a whole new range of possibilities when you can actually write to your data set from XMLA. That means that I can do my own application 
that speaks XMLA, and I can put data inside of Power BI. And suddenly we are looking at some pretty funky ways of, of um, doing um, data with Power BI. So, so much more stuff coming. And th these are just a few of the, the things. Um, I would definitely go check out the uh, plan features. We're going to put a link in the, the show notes. How cool is this? Oh, that sounds absolutely excellent because I know that I will be, once this migration project has been, I don't know, completed or at least nearly completed, I will be involved in extremely many probably different kinds of integrations towards AD and Azure as well, you know, trying to just get rid of all the local user account databases that are floating around everywhere. So we will try to use Active Directory as a single sign-on. We will try to use Azure Active Directory where possible. And also for, you know, all the software stuff, applications that are floating around pretty much everywhere in the organization will be tried to be integrated as, as much as possible into the new AD structure and Azure AD. So all, all the possibilities I can get, all the tips I can get are extremely welcome and I absolutely appreciate the feedback. Mm -hmm. Oh, speaking of feedback, uh, Matthew Roche pinged me the other day. He is in the CAT team for Power BI and he reached out and said, what do you use to make your podcast sound so good? And he, he pinged me and he pinged a few of the other uh, podcasters out there. So I, I answered him in true uh, Twitter fashion, which is very, very short. And <laughs> then I thought, I think it's time for a the tech of Knee Deep in Tech 2020s edition. So I've started to write a huge blogs post. It's going to be four parts and I've done the first and, and most of the second. Uh, and I'm going to post the, the first one just after this, this uh, uh, episode. So we're, I'm going to go through the gear, how we record, what kind of post-processing I do and where I put everything up on the internet when it comes to Twitter, to uh, streaming, to the whole nine yards. And there are a couple of reasons for this. Not only I'm pretty sure that some people can learn a bit uh, from this or get ideas. And it's also kind of a good thing for, for me to um, remember what the heck I do. If I, in any case, is, is unavailable, one of you might be able to do uh, the post-processing using the instructions. So that's, that's what I'm working on as well. And tomorrow I am going to Gothenburg to teach the AZ900 fundamentals, Azure Infrastructure Fundamentals on Thursday. So it's uh, it's a full week. Oh yeah. And I will be continuing with the Azure AD Connect struggles and issues, trying to get them solved as smoothly as possible and also as quickly as possible. So that's my main goal for this week, pretty much. There we go. And I think on that bombshell, I think it's time to end. And uh, we'll be back in a week or so, depending on how we manage to fit our schedules. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time. Bye. See you next time. Bye.